Welcome to The Speculum, a podcast that opens up dialogue around women's intimate health. We discuss topics ranging from puberty to postmenopause. We want women to feel comfortable and confident as they navigate life's changes. My name's Elise Maxwell, and I'm your host. Today, I'm also joined by Cindy Traxler, a writer and my friend, and Missy Safner, a nurse midwife who's going to answer our questions at the end of today's episode. Today, we are talking about douching. Hi, I'm Cindy Traxler. And I'm Elise Maxwell. We are two lady friends with diverse backgrounds, and we're here to talk about women's intimate health. For this first episode, we want to introduce ourselves a little bit so that you have a sense of who we are when we're talking about some of these issues. I'm Cindy Traxler. I'm a writer. I'm the mother of one, divorced. My son is 23 years old. I'm very interested in the health and wellness of women and what it means to be self-confident, secure, and growing up in the African-American community I can't say that I've always known about my body, um, been taught well about my body. And the things that I found out, I found out later as I got older, kind of by accident. And looking back on it, I think I could have benefited sooner from a lot of the knowledge that I gained. Um, So my name's Elise Maxwell, and I am um, a 29-year-old woman and... I'm very excited to learn more about a lot of these issues. I would say Cindy has a lot more life experience and I'm excited to learn from her. I haven't had a child yet. I, I'm excited to do this podcast because I, as I transition through different life, life phases, want to be prepared and want to have information and connections to other women as I make some of those changes. We'll start today by discussing our personal experiences with douching. We'll then discuss a couple articles that we found that are related to douching. And then we'll follow it up with a conversation with a health practitioner. So Cindy, what, when did you first hear about douching? This is one of those things that I don't know that I, I knew about it before I heard about it. I knew about it because I grew up with kids that talked a lot of stuff about nothing that they, things they didn't know anything about. So I knew that there was a douching. I had an idea of what it was. Back when I was young, all of the women had plastic bottles and tubing in their, in their bathrooms. You couldn't go into somebody's bathroom without seeing this. But this was before the disposable douche and things like that. So, uh, and and so we never really, nobody ever really knew what it was. We just knew that our mom or our aunt would go into the bathroom for a little while, and we'd hear these noises, and they would leave. And then, of course, being children, you play with stuff, and the the bottle then would be wet but you didn't know what happened with the bottle and they would forbid you to touch it. So that, so I kind of knew that something was going on around this bottle and this tubing. I did not get it explained to me until I was about 16 years old. And at that point, I started hearing whispers more from my friends. 
because by this time everybody was menstruating and many of the young women were already douching. But I always felt that, that once I found out what it was, I thought that doesn't make any sense. And then I remember asking my mom about the douching and she told me that you did it to feel fresher. And I said, well, and she was still using the plastic tube and the, and the, and the water bottle and putting some kind of solution. I don't know what she was putting in it. Vinegar, I think. Vinegar and water is what she used. And when she explained it to me, I walked away with this sensation of, well, why would you do such a thing? It made no sense to me. Um, so I personally never did it. And when I would get in conversations with my peer group, there would be about half of us, half that were doing it, a few people that didn't know anything about it, and then a few people who were like, it doesn't make sense to do it. But there was a notion, there was some kind of belief behind it that somehow it would clean you out, so to speak. But I was like, what are we trying to clean out? Because I had taken a biology class or two at that point and was told that the vagina had bacteria that essentially was self-cleaning. So it just, it didn't make a whole lot of practical sense. And, and to this day, I mean, I know women who still do it and swear they'll never stop. I, I'll be honest, I have absolutely no experience with douching. I still, I mean, I've read a couple articles for this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but I had very little, I have very little experience with douching. I've never douched. I, um, I think that there's a little bit of a generational thing around douching. Mm -hmm. More and more information's coming out about how douching is not great for your body. And we'll talk a little bit about that research later on. I... I understand the desire to want to have a fresher smell because at times, especially um, right around when I'm menstruating, I definitely have a stronger odor. <laughs> and, you know, there is some sense that other people around me can smell mm -hmm. me and that can be an uncomfortable feeling that other people can smell what clearly is coming from your vagina. Right. And so there's this... Uh, desire to kind of get rid of that smell so I completely I empath I have empathy for that because I, I also have I feel that at times too um, but I think that one just growing up um, in the 90s kind of was exposed to the idea that that just kind of don't go there and because I never had someone talk to me about douching I never figured out like how you would even do that I guess most people probably read a box or something <laughs> definitely <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm not I I didn't have the type of relationship I think with my mom where I would have known if she douched mm -hmm. she would have kept that very hidden and would not have talked to me about it so I actually can't even say whether or not my mom did that I, do, I don't know maybe she did um likely given um Maybe that time period she did douche or has experience with that. I just, I don't know. Um, and she probably is not happy with me talking about her douching on this podcast. But I am. Um, so 
it's just it's it's interesting like having different uh the two of us have had kind of different experiences with douching and both have landed on the side of not douching for i think very similar reasons you had Mm -hmm. heard about how it was bad Mm -hmm. um, for the vagina i had heard about that yeah and i think that when there's when there's so much back and forth and nobody really agrees anyway then you then it just leaves it up to you to decide what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Um, but knowing what I know today, um, it still makes me wonder what a young what a young woman would gain from it. And hearing Elise never being exposed to it makes me wonder what young women are going to do, do with it going forward. So, Yeah, and I think... Um what's important is to really to educate ourselves on what the benefits and what the negative aspects of douching are and to you know make those decisions based on quality information definitely certainly so speaking of quality information cindy and i for this podcast took a look at three articles. We looked at an article um, out of the Atlantic um, from 2000, actually from this year um, in April that came out that's called, titled Why Douching Won't Die um, by Julie Morse. And then we also took a look at what the government, the women's health website put out by the government um, has to say about douching and what their stance is um, And then the third article we looked at is actually a study. It was a review that was done by two doctors from the University of Alabama that took a look at all the literature on douching to figure out what the effects were. So in some of the, one of the big takeaways is that douching is more prevalent in black and Hispanic communities. The articles did fail to discuss the economic and education levels of the women in those communities. So there's, it's hard to differentiate if um, that, if that number lessens as you get more education, better access to healthcare, if you have a more stable income. Yeah, that would be something that I would really like to know. Right. Um, it did talk about how it's also more prevalent in other countries. I think Turkey, they said 80% of women there douche. I'm not sure how they get that number, um, but it's it seems to be prevalent in a lot of other countries. Yeah, and, and just in my own anecdotal stuff, I mean, this this reading these articles really made me question the women that I know. Like, are you know, are you douching? Have you ever douched? Kind of thing, and and they were pretty open about answering it and. What, what I was what I heard from the four people that I spoke with was two of them douched, two of them never douched, but all of them had been introduced and taught about douching. And they all felt, especially the two that douched, were that it made them fresher, that it made them cleaner, that it reduced odor. And when I pressed them about throwing off their pH levels, that information didn't seem to resonate with them. Even, even my friends who don't douche, they they totally got why people did it. So I, I, I guess I'm coming in and trying to understand, yes, you know, this is, this, is, this is something that is done, that is taught in our community. 
and, and in other parts of the country. But I think it's part of our underlying theme yeah. of women being healthy and knowing. Knowing. And women feeling like, you know. Well, and that, that's really interesting because it gets to this idea that even when you do know that it might not be healthy, there's even more pressure on women to have freshly scented vaginas. <laughs> One of the interesting, so in the Why Douching Won't Die, it talked a little bit about the history of douching. And I was fascinated to hear that the first commercial douching product was actually Lysol. Yeah. That was, was, I was floored when I read that. I I looked over that twice because I was like, Lysol? So in looking at the literature, part of what we talked about is this idea of, you know, making sure when we make a decision about douching, it's based on actual solid information. So one of the things that was brought up through this literature was this uh, the fact that douching has been tied to a lot of adverse side effects um, and absolutely no positive benefits to douching. Right. And I'll just go through some of the negative uh, side effects, bacterial vaginosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, problems um, during pregnancy. So if you douche during pregnancy, it's been tied to uh, preterm birth and ectopic pregnancy where the baby is actually Im- implanted, I think, in the fallopian tube. Yes. Although it has been, had no positive effects found with douching, there are several uh, negative side effects that have been tied to douching. And so to me, that in and of itself, I'm like, I do not want pelvic inflammatory disease and there's nothing positive that's going to come from it. I, I might smell fresh for two days but it's really just masking your natural odor. The notion that douching somehow eliminates odor is a fallacy. I don't, I don't, I'll call it a fallacy because, yeah, on the one hand, it does eliminate odor for a period of time, but your odor is still there. It's just mask. It's like covering it with a perfume. And nature has... It has put in place all that we need internally to be healthy. So that whole discharge and what's healthy, and we'll, we'll talk about that in later podcasts, but it is an important conversation to teach your, to know for yourself so yeah. you can teach your daughters and mentor other young women about what it means yeah. and looks like to be healthy. Spread the word. Yes, Don't please. douche. <laughs> Douching bad. Douching bad. Don't douche. Um, the vagina is full of healthy bacteria. It cleans itself with mucus. Um, and so let your vagina do what it does best. And if you do smell odors that are different than they typically are, definitely see a doctor um, or a nurse practitioner. And it's really important that we get this word out because 20, uh, according to some of the uh, articles we looked at, 25% of women in the U.S. still douche. And that's a lot of women. A lot of women. And a lot, and somebody making a lot of money off of that. Yeah. And so they're selling product that's bad for us. Yeah. And what does that mean? That's another, that's another. Yeah, that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So spread the word um, and take a look at these articles. Um. We'll have a link uh, to these articles on our website. To continue this conversation about douching, we are lucky to have Missy Safner with us. Missy is a nurse midwife with her PhD in women's health nursing. 
She will be joining us regularly to answer our intimate health questions and provide a practitioner's point of view. She's a wonderful woman and we are so lucky to have her. Hi, Missy. I am very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Missy, so what are your experiences with douching from a practitioner's perspective? What have you seen? What do you typically tell patients? I don't recommend douching to anyone. Um, Personally, I don't see a lot of women who are douching um, in the clinic. What I more see is women who are using um, vaginal washes or feminine washes, so external um, soaps or washes that are marketed towards um, women specifically for like V Health or Vag Health or however they're um, they're branded. Um, But what I've found with uh, with douching in the very few cases that I see with women who are douching is that it causes more problems than solving problems. So I definitely don't recommend it to any woman. Um, And the vaginal washes or the feminine washes, I also find cause irritation and can lead to um, infections, both bacterial infections and um, yeast infections. And what I would say is the most important thing for all women to know is that your vagina and your genitals don't need a special wash. They don't need anything special to keep clean. So instead of douching, what can women do to ensure that they have clean and healthy genitals? So there's really easy ways to keep the genitals healthy. Um, I always recommend that women wear cotton underwear and loose-fitting clothes. And I know this is is a challenge at times because many of the the trendier styles are tighter-fitting. So whether it's jeans or yoga pants or whatever women are wearing today. Um, But if you can wear cotton underwear underneath or at least when you get home, change into something loose-fitting and wear no underwear if that's possible. Um, Women, I encourage them to exercise um, regularly, and so when they do exercise, I recommend that they shower immediately after working out so that they're not walking around in wet clothes and exposing their genitals to the sweat and the moisture. Um, But for just keeping the area clean, I really just recommend using water or water with a mild soap like a Dove for sensitive skin or something similar to that rather than a harsh antibacterial soap or scented soaps, um, which is one of the reasons I don't recommend those um, feminine washes is although they talk about being pH balanced and perfect for your genitals, I don't think that they have anything extra special in them that is somehow, um, you know, they say it's clinically tested, but that I, I don't I don't have any evidence to show that they actually make a difference. In fact, the women who use them are the ones I usually see in the clinic who have been using the feminine washes and now are um, experiencing symptoms of itching, burning, or irritation. What bacteria are typically found in the vagina or um, vulva? Or is there not even really a normal or typical? Do all women have just a different set of bacteria? I like to tell women when I see them in the office um, that their vagina is like a rainforest and it sounds kind of funny, but it's a very sensitive ecosystem and it has a lot of different components. So women have different types of bacteria. They have yeast and they have lactobacilli, which are just normal hydrogen peroxide producing organisms. And those are in the vagina and the vulva. And normally they all live really well together in this ecosystem. There's no problem. You know, they balance each other out. But every once in a while, there can be a shift in the vagina that can cause um, one organism to grow and then overgrow. Um, So it kind of 
you know, takes over that ecosystem. And that's generally a yeast overgrowth. And the most common is Candida albicans. Um, and then there's also a bacterial overgrowth, which we commonly um, call bacterial vaginosis. And Gardnerella is the most common form of bacteria that we see with that. Um, there's certainly a lot of different possibilities. Certainly there's more than that type of yeast that I mentioned, and there's certainly more than that type of bacteria that I mentioned, but those are the ones we most commonly see. Thank you for answering our questions on Douching, Missy. We are excited to have you as a regular guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining this week's episode. Our next episode will explore the wonders of vaginal discharge. What is it? Why does it exist? And how do we know when it's not normal? Please tweet your questions to us at OVAWOMAN, that's O-V-A-W-O-M-A-N. To access past and future episodes, visit OVAWOMAN.com. This podcast is produced by OVAWOMAN, a women's intimate health company that aggregates products that support women in feeling comfortable and confident. Check us out at OVAWOMAN.com. Thank you. Thank you.